If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Midwife Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of honest expert chats. My mission is to provide you with the very best support and information through pregnancy, birth and beyond with my online courses over at midwifepip.com. And as a podcast listener, I'm also offering you an exclusive 15% off all my online courses using code PODCAST15. With no further ado, let's get chatting. Yes, we are going there. We are talking about sex during pregnancy and after you have had a baby. One of those subjects you may not want to talk with your mum or your friends about, but fear not, because here on my podcast, we love diving into taboo subjects and making sure that no stone is left unturned. Sex is a topic that often makes us blush or shy away from discussion, but I am not sure that anything could make this week's guest blush. (laughs) As a sex educator, (laughs) April Davis spends her days writing about vaginas. On Instagram as at the vagina blog, April openly discusses all things you want to ask but are too shy to. April describes herself as the reason you slightly tilt your phone away from others when you're scrolling. And that is the exact reason she is the perfect guest to join us today. I am very grateful that April is taking time out from blogging at thevaginablog.com and swapping seats from hosting her own podcast join me here today to follow april's social media and podcast you can find all the links in the episode description so that sex and vaginas need not make you blush so welcome april and thank you so much for coming on to chat to me thank you so much for having me I know you've had a slight rush to uh, to get here, so I am very grateful that we've made it and we can talk about sex. That's and my own fault. <laughs> it's fine. The joys of being a woman that's juggling lots and lots of hats, right? Yes. <laughs> now, this is perhaps, April, a slightly ironic question and coming from a midwife, but I have to ask you, what drew you to having a career now talking about sex and vaginas? <laughs> What an opening question, right? I know. I love it. It's my favorite every time. So I also come from the birth world. You know, ah, that and, makes sense. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, obviously, this has always been a natural passion and curiosity of mine, all of this. So it, it just made so much sense how I landed where I landed. 
Um, but I worked as a birth assistant to a nurse midwife um, doing home deliveries. I have a background in emergency medicine. So she owns a birth center here and then also does a lot of home birth. She's incredible. And I worked for her. I also worked as a doula. So I was going in as a non-medical support person, um, like in the hospital and attending other home births and birth center births with even other midwives, just as a non-medical. And then I also worked as a birth photographer. So I really was able to observe birth in all settings with all providers, with all varieties of everything that we see happen in childbirth, right? And um, like once you start hanging out with birth workers and being one yourself, you kind of start like, oh, let's learn more about the menstrual cycle. Let's talk about menstrual cups. Let's learn more about discs. Like it's such a natural thing to dive into that whole realm. And sex obviously is a huge part of that. And uh, due to some personal things and family things, I kind of had to retire from birth work because it's kind of chaotic and on call, you know. Unpredictable. And yeah, very unpredictable. And I love that about it. But I also had some things with my own kids that I needed to kind of just have a little bit more stable <laughs> life. So I was like, what in the world am I supposed to do with all this information? I know so much now about vaginas, about sex, about like menstrual cups, all these things. And at that point, I really felt like, you know, I, I want everyone to know everything. I want everyone to know all these things. And, and you know, this, once you have seen women and people with vaginas in their full power, you know, in, in the delivery room, uh, it really changes Things. And I just want every single person to feel that empowerment mm -hmm. and to step into that, you know, and I think setting up a platform, talking about these things openly, educating here in the US, our maternal mortality rates are going up. And so for me, logically, my thought process was if I can catch them now, and I can teach them how to teach their kids and talk to their kids. And I can empower them to have more constructive conversations with their medical providers. Maybe somehow I can prevent the mater maternal mortality rates from continuing to rise. Because we shouldn't be killing more people in childbirth, right? We should be doing better and better and better and better. With all the technology that we have available to us, the education and knowledge that we have available to us, this shouldn't be happening in the U.S. where we pay the most for our healthcare out of any country in the world. It's an embarrassment, right? So I was like, I am going to fix it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, what a mission. <laughs> but, actually, but actually, what a motivation, April, to be fair. What a massive mo motivation. And I think yeah. having probably having had children yourself, you feel that even mm -hmm. more, you know, that like innate yeah. want Careful. to make things better. Mm -hmm. and son, like it, it's for everybody you know like some of the harm that we see happen in childbirth shouldn't be happening you know and like it we, we just need to do better by our people and the thing that's been probably my favorite part about this and my favorite part about having a podcast is I've now met so many people with the exact same mission mm -hmm. it is so special and so neat to see how much we all really just want the same thing I always have a little saying that I love April that's when women support women, amazing things happen. And I think when you start mm -hmm. to speak to people like yourselves and in that kind of community and we start to connect, you know, across the globe, you think, oh, wow, like, yeah, actually, surely if we all get together, we all, surely if we all get same. together, 
yeah. then we can actually make that sort of change. Yep. And we need to talk about sex and vaginas more, obviously. Yeah. Um, because yeah. if we don't open up about those things and we can't have those honest conversations. But I couldn't agree more mm-hmm. when you said, you know, when you work in that birth space, when you see what women's bodies are capable of, it is absolutely yep. mind-blowing. And, you know, even yep. as a midwife, and I, you know, I work with pregnant women, I see pregnant women, I've been a pregnant woman myself. It still blows my mind on what women's bodies yep. can do. I'm like, how did that even happen? I mean, I've seen this thousands of times, but how on earth did and that it's happen? Incredible. It's incredible every time. That's what I just, it's, it's the best. So basically we have for the first few minutes of the podcast, bigged ourselves up as women, but I love that. We should do more of that, shouldn't we? We are incredible beings. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so now that your, your career choice of sex and vaginas um, seems very clear, um, why do you think, April, we are so embarrassed to talk about sex? And I'm thinking kind of most of my listeners are pregnant women or, you know, new mums. We know they have all had sex, right? Because or obviously you know, some sort of vaginal action has happened to conceive yeah. a pregnancy. Something um, knocks them up. <laughs> yeah, but still we're like, oh, no. I wouldn't do that. And you're like, well, well, I'm suspicious given that baby in your womb. Why can't we talk about it more? Why do we all get red cheeks? You know, I'd love to know what your guys' excuse is. I've, I'm always like, well, America was settled by Puritans. It makes sense. We just haven't <laughs> shook it yet. But you guys, come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I just how how deeply ingrained is purity culture though in in all of our Anglo Anglo Christian cultures that we've all been raised in that that's just it. There's so much shame around the female body as a whole in every aspect, and we just we like to pick that up and carry it with us as we go in life, and that extends so far into sex, into pregnancy, into loving our bodies. And another thing that springs to mind when you talk about that is breastfeeding. You know, that's another yeah. another sort of stigma that that's kind of, I don't know, seems to be sexualized when it absolutely should not mm-hmm. be. But that's why women are afraid to breastfeed in public because they're worried about that sexual stigma. Yeah, yeah, it's nonsensical. There's and, work and to really, be done, isn't there? <laughs> there's so much work to be done. And I don't know um, how it is over in England, but most states here in the U.S. have protective laws that allow women to freely breastfeed whenever, wherever, however, you know, and so it's time we just start taking advantage of that and normalize it. And I, I love, I feel like even since I had my first baby 12 years ago, I've seen a huge shift culturally towards people just really not caring if you're breastfeeding. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm currently um, breastfeeding my almost five month old and actually Uh I've had a really positive, positive time in terms of feeding in cafes Good. on the side of rugby pitch however mm-hmm. my own my own Good. dad finds it massively awkward yeah. <laughs> bless him he's getting there five months down the line he's seen me breastfeed a lot now but to start with yep. he'll, he'll openly admit he found it really really awkward yep oh yeah my parents were the same way I remember we were with some family and my aunt and uncle both were like we don't know what to do with yeah. our eyes <laughs> where are we supposed to and it's just like I and on top of it like I'm pretty covered I always did the double shirt where you were like the the shirt underneath yeah. and then a shirt over the top so you just pull one up leave one down and get them on the nipple and you would never know I had people always try to take my kids from me like oh the baby's sleeping can I hold them and I'm like actually the baby's eating so <laughs> if you could just get away from my breast that'd be great because <laughs> I, 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 felt, I felt like when I tried to get out of cover it was like this signal to everyone like I'm breastfeeding and people kind of acted awkward if I yeah. like sneaky got them on my boob and like didn't say anything or do anything 
No one had any idea until they tried to take my baby from me. You know, like, oh, I want to hold your baby. And it's like, oh, there's my boobs out actually. So maybe just a minute, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and let's be honest, we've all seen plenty of boobs. So what's one more, right? <laughs> Who is sad about seeing boobs? This is the other thing I don't understand. <laughs> Who wakes up in the morning and is like, I will be devastated. If I see a naked breast today, it will just be the end for me. And even, even this, like, but the teenage boys, I'm like, teenage boys love boobs. What's yeah. the problem? Yeah. They are not going to be the people telling you to stop breastfeeding in public, are they? <laughs> no. I always almost like wish someone would try to say something to me, but no one ever did. I mean, they would, they would be brave, April. They would be so, so brave. <laughs> I would, you'd have to get it videoed if they ever did, please. Oh, I would have eaten them for breakfast. <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's go back to sex because Mm -hmm. I want us to discuss those things that pregnant women are probably secretly Googling or are too embarrassed Mm -hmm. to ask their friends because I feel like you are going to be the friend that they can get all that knowledge from. First thing that I think always crops up is sex drive in pregnancy. What can we expect? Because I'm sure this, there's a massive, you know, variation in what women experience, but what, what's kind of normal? What do you see with women you speak to? Is there a normal? I mean, you're a midwife. That, that's, no... that's what's tricky. Even I mean, it's always boring, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. And like, I've had three different pregnancies. My libido has been completely different with, with each one of them. And so what's tricky with people when they say what's normal? Uh, the, the answer is what's normal for you is what's normal. I feel like when it comes to libido, mm-hmm. some people I talk to cannot get enough sex the whole time they're pregnant. Other ones, it's only second trimester. They just love sex, second trimester. First trimester, they're too sick. Third trimester, they're too big. Second trimester, they're like into weird stuff, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean weird stuff in a very non-judgmental way, but like things that they're like, I didn't know I was into this and apparently I am just because I'm pregnant. (laughs) Those pregnancy hormones have got a lot to answer for. Totally. So, but then those hormones, you know, everyone reacts to them a little differently. What, what works great for boosting someone's libido is going to crush another's when it comes to, to pregnancy. So I would just say what's normal for you is normal. And just because it was one way during one pregnancy does not even necessarily mean your second and third or fourth or fifth pregnancy is going to be the same. It's probably going to be different each time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think I think for women to know that actually if their sex drive has suddenly gone like skyrocketed, mm-hmm. that is okay. It's not that there's something like totally. crazy gone wrong. Um, and likewise, yeah. if they're not fancying it, again, absolutely. Totally fine. And that it will change, you know, like you say, you know, different yeah. symptoms. I mean, the first trimester for me was just miserable. I was just vomiting all the time. Yeah. So the last thing I felt like yeah. doing was being intimate. Um, but then, like you say, you know, and, and it depends, I think, as well on how we feel about our pregnant bodies. And the more confident we can be in them, then surely the more sort of in into our libido, we're, we're going to be able to connect because we just feel better mm-hmm. in ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, what makes me extra sad is when I hear people like, but I'm not, I'm not a sexual creature when I'm pregnant because I'm pregnant and I totally disagree. Like, and obviously this is my own experience, but my husband's like, oh no, like I'm so into you when you're pregnant. There's just something about like your growing belly and like you being so fully enveloped in like womanhood mm-hmm. in that. And obviously for me as a cisgendered person, like that is like this symbolism of womanhood for me. And so like for our relationship 
And for that, like, he was like, I, you're very sexual and attractive and delicious and blossoming almost, if you will, you know? So he absolutely loved it for other people. Like even before we had kids, I remember him being like, but we don't have sex when you're pregnant. Right. Like we couldn't do that. I'm like, Oh no, we absolutely could do that. That's totally safe and fine. And he was like, Oh, are you sure? And I was like, Cause I love the, like, am I going to hurt the baby? Oh, yeah. No. Am I going to pick the baby's head? Never, no one's penis is big <laughs> enough to hurt the baby. No one's. So just <laughs> I love that. I hear that all down. the time, literally all the time. You're like, no, we need we need some anatomy and physiology lessons, I think. And yeah. maybe a ruler. The two together yeah. could be quite helpful combination. Yeah, you're not poking the baby in the head. You're not poking anybody. Like it's you're fine. Like if you can and it feels good, go for it. Yeah. Unless absolutely. for some reason, right. Like we've got real reasons. Like if you're on pelvic rest and stuff, like obviously don't, but but if you've got clearance to do it, go for it if you want to. And I always say when it comes to that third trimester that it's a fantastic way of encouraging labor. So it's, it's usually a recommendation oh, yeah. when women reach out to me when they're approaching their due date. I'm like, just up, up the sex and that might help. Yeah, yeah. get those prostaglandins. Use that semen to your advantage. Yeah, that's it, that's it. It's done its job, let it carry on. So mm-hmm. we've discussed libido. Now, if you are feeling up to it, your libido is is high and you're comfortable and you want to have sex in pregnancy, as we said, it is safe unless you've been advised otherwise, which is a very, very small minority of pregnancy complications. How can women make it more comfortable? Now, I suppose I'm thinking more like third trimester here, April, you know, like you've got a big growing bump, perhaps your pelvis is a bit achy. You kind of do want to have sex with your partner, but perhaps positions that might have been your go-to are now just awkward or uncomfortable, or you obviously don't want to be lying on your bump, etc. Any tips? Mm-hmm. So I always try to give out the permission slip to not have intercourse unless they want to. I think that's the first thing maybe we need to look at because with my second and my third pregnancy, it was like, I don't think there's room in there for you. Like, I know physiologically that there is, but it doesn't, nothing's really great about penetration right now for me. So what are other options? Um, We really love to categorize sex. When we say the word sex, we always like to think of heterosexual intercourse, right? Mm. There is so much more to sex. There is mutual masturbation. There is solo masturbation. There is oral activities. There's so many, there's toys. Like there's a whole world of sexual activity and enjoyment out there that is not intercourse. And so if you're like, I just can't, like getting on all fours is just not doing it for me. And I really can't, like, I obviously can't be on flat on my back and I don't want to be on top because my belly gets squished. Like if it just is feeling overcomplicated, let's simplify. Mm. You know, so, cause I, I had sex all the way up until my due date with my first, with my second and my third, I was like, this just feels hard. Let's do other activities that are really fun, you know, and that's okay. You can still connect intimately that way. Everyone can still have an orgasm if they want to, you know, like it can still be really pleasurable and fulfilling, but it doesn't have to be intercourse. Rear entry type positions like doggy style are probably going to be your best bet. That way your belly can hang and you're not going to be, you know, crumpled in any areas where it's going to be painful. But even for me being in that position for very long was like, this is tiring and hard. And I feel like a cow, even though I'm a very sexual cow, it's fine. I know I'm beautiful, but I feel like a cow. (laughs) I don't want to. That's a really key point, isn't it? It's meant to be pleasurable for both parties. So if it's not feeling like that for one or the other, then 
have, and have a conversation, right? I think communication, communication gets so lost, doesn't it? And don't have a conversation at 11 p.m. when someone has an erection. Have a conversation <laughs> over lunch in public when no one can take their clothes off. And this goes for every sexual season <laughs> in your life. Talk to each other at lunch. Talk to each other on a car drive. Talk to each other during the day when it's not like, but I really wanted to have sex right now. And also we're in our bed and also I have an erection. So that's not the time to have a conversation. Oh, I feel like we need to go out for, for a lunch date and I want to hear the conversations that you have. <laughs> well, you know they looked like, they looked like getting really transparent, like, man, postpartum is taking it out of me. I wish that I could have sex with you and I just, I just am not feeling up to it. What other activities can we do to connect intimately, mm-hmm. you know? And then once I'm feeling better, you know what? I'm actually feeling significantly better. My libido is blossoming and I'm, you know, I would love to have more sex in our life. What can we do in our life to make sure that we're having sex and connecting more, you know, but it's, it's having conversations like that and it's, it's ha- making compromises. It's coming up with solutions because I think so much of the frustration that we have around sex is not having these types of talks that are really, really real. Um, it's hard to say to your partner, like my needs are not being met or I can't meet all of your needs. Those are hard conversations to have. And sometimes it's not enough for your partner. They want to have more. So then let's talk about like, okay, what does masturbation look like? What does, you know, hand stuff look like oral stuff look like? Does everyone, does it always have to be intercourse? Can we find fulfillment in this whole broad spectrum of sexual activity? Yeah, I like that. And I think the more that we can talk about sex, the easier it becomes to then have those intimate conversations. Because if sex totally. is like a really taboo subject to you, to then say to your mm-hmm. partner how you're feeling in that moment about it, it's probably really hard. But then I also yeah. think the silence is probably way more damaging because they have no damaging. idea what each, other pe- what each other are thinking. So actually saying, this is embarrassing. Maybe this was awkward to me, but I need to talk to you about our sex. I need to, you know, I need to explore this intimacy with you. <laughs> We're just taking a quick pause from this episode so that I can share with you a brand that I know you're going to love as much as I do. My Little Finley is growing up fast and is almost on the move, which means it's now time to start making our home safe for him. Did you know that every single week, at least one child under five years of age dies in an accident? 75% of which happen in their own home. I think this is terrifying. And this is why the team at Cheeky Rascals offer a variety of products that not only help make parents' lives easier, but are also the safest on the market, including brands like Love to Dream, Rocket, and the Fred Baby Proofing Safety Range, which has everything you need to keep your little ones safe and your mind at ease. I want to support you to make your home safer for your little one and prevent them coming to any harm. So Cheeky Rascals are sponsoring this podcast and offering you 15% off Fred safety products using the code midwifepip15. Well, and let me, let me add an extra layer to this because spe- like we are talking about sex and pregnancy. So these are people that are having children. You need to be well-practiced in talking about sex. And the best person to practice with is your partner because you need to talk to your kids about sex and you need to be able to say penis and not giggle or choke 
or, you know what I mean? You need to just be able to talk about it. And if you've been talking to your partner openly using correct vocabulary and bringing up some of these things that maybe feel taboo, when your two-year-old is asking why their dad has a tail, you're gonna be like, well, actually that's his penis. And this is its function. And this is how a penis works. And I have a vagina and a vulva. And this is like, it's all going to roll off your tongue and not be a big, scary, hard thing. And then your kids are going to grow up thinking that talking about this is normal. And then when they go in and talk to their doctor and care providers, they're going to have no problem being assertive and talking about their needs and saying no to things like damaging birth procedures. And we're going to not have the mortality rates Mm -hmm. that we currently have. Full circle. <laughs> but you're so right. It starts, and that's why pregnancy is such a powerful time, isn't it? Because it literally Important. starts the foundation of that whole next generation. And the only way, <coughs> excuse me, the only way I think we start to break cycles like taboos and stigmas is by having these conversations with the next generation as young as possible. And we know how hugely influential children are, and they pick yep. up on everything we say, usually the yep. things we don't want them to have noticed, obviously. Um, and that's why, like you say, using those correct terms is so important and protects them. You know, we live in a world where, unfortunately, there are some not so nice people out there. So your child mm-hmm. being able to talk about, you know, their penis, their vagina, they'll be able to talk protect about them sex. From the really important because when someone's grooming them to molest them one of the first things they typically do is look to see if they have adults in their life that they would talk to about these things so as soon as they understand vocabulary as soon as they know what their parts are and things that person is going to maybe pick another kid or move on to the next target Mm -hmm. because they know that your kid will come talk to you so you're protecting your children by going out to lunch with your partner tomorrow and talking to them about your sex life like it's it really does translate over (laughs) Well, that's everyone's homework sorted. Please let us know how you get on with that little mission. Yes. (laughs) Report back. Now, we, you know, we birth a whole new human life, April. And for about 75% of women in in the UK, I think the stats are probably slightly different in the US. For those people, that is at their vagina. Um, And for most women in labor or during birth, they have vaginal examinations who are essentially, let's be honest, by a stranger a lot of the time, someone you might have just met, Women experience vaginal tearing, you know, they're in the middle of the postpartum hormonal roller coaster that happens. And I often hear from women being anxious to have sex in pregnancy or post birth because of everything that's happened. How can we try to reconnect sexually? Like, I feel like there could be a massive psychological barrier because of all of those events that take place. Um, Give yourself permission and space and time to explore. You know, I, I think so often here in the U.S., uh, we're supposed to be fully recovered at six weeks postpartum. I know. That's when we go back to work. Oh, it's, <laughs> I delivered a Canadian woman and she was like, you keep saying six weeks about this and six weeks about that. She's like, I'm just really confused. In Canada, it's 12 weeks. And I was like, oh, you're in the U.S. now. <laughs> yeah. So if you could just do that twice as fast, that'd be brilliant. It's so embarrassing. Like I just am just thoroughly embarrassed for us as Americans that we do this to women and have these expectations because it is horrific and so wrong. But what we're often told, so we, we stay in the hospital for two days, we get sent home and then we go in for a checkup at six weeks postpartum with our doctor. They rummage around in there for five minutes and then put us on birth control and send us on our way. They don't do, we don't do pelvic floor physical therapy as a routine. We have to seek that out ourselves and they don't really check. They just kind of make sure like everything's not bleeding anymore. And that's about it. 
arguably so not requiring an internal examination for that. <laughs> like, well, that's, and that's the thing too. Like they'll kind of go in, but they reach right past everything and go, okay, your cervix is where it's supposed to be. And I can see it. Cool. It's, it's just not, there's no checking for like muscle damage or any of that. And actually April, it's not that dissimilar in the UK. So we have, um, it used to be a six week check services Mm -hmm. are stretched. So you now have an eight week check with your GP Mm -hmm. that isn't a physical Mm -hmm. examination. It's like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm done. And at the same time, your baby has their check and their vaccine. So you've got like a 10, 15 minute appointment for all of that. I mean, And we don't have routine yeah. pelvic health physio. It's again, you seek yeah. it out privately or if you've got symptoms, then you'll be put on a waiting mm-hmm. list. It's just, yep. I mean, it's just rubbish, isn't it? I mean, I could rant about it this is. for like weeks. It's just terrible. Weeks, months, maybe years. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> just rubbish. But six weeks, eight weeks is not recovered. It's just not. I love referencing, there was a, a study done where they x-rayed 800 women's pelvises after delivery and it was like 30 or 40 percent had fractures wow we're not looking for hairline fractures after a delivery though right like no one's routinely getting x-rayed unless they have symptoms and even then i think that would be pretty low on the list of like assessments mm-hmm. that they'd be doing so you have to think like when we say nine months in nine months out that's real you might have pelvic fractures for crying out loud <laughs> So if you hit that six week postpartum mark and you're like, I don't know if I'm up for sex yet. I just don't know if I'm there. Then maybe intercourse is not where you go. You might be like, I could really use an orgasm right now. And that let's refer back to all the other ways to have orgasms that are not intercourse, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've got so many options with this beautiful buffet of ways to connect intimately and enjoy each other. Let's really dig into that buffet of things. And from my own personal experience, after I had my first baby, I had really minimal damage. I was so grateful. Uh, at six weeks, was totally fine to resume intercourse and did fine. And it was great. With my second baby, I had an incredible delivery, no damage, was having sex two weeks later and loving life. Like it was not a big deal at all. And I was happy to be having intercourse again at two weeks postpartum. With my third, I walked away so exhausted, so damaged, so overwhelmed. And it took me like really six months of, of like recovery before I could dive into that. And so this is why I really try to tell people, even if your last baby was a piece of cake and your recovery was great, your next one might be really difficult. If your first one was really difficult, your second one might be a breeze. You just never know what your recovery is truly going to be like until you're in it. And you have got to lean into like grace, patience, self-love. And you've really got to try and bring your partner along with you in that. They, they've got to understand like, hey, I'm going through this whole thing and they've kind of got to go through it with you. And if you allow it to be, it's a beautiful season of growth in a relationship typically and learning how to better support each other and love each other. But at the end of the day, that tiny baby really is taking up a lot of your energy and a lot of your needs and a lot of your literal like calories off your body <laughs> if you're breastfeeding mm-hmm. and you just kind of got to allow your body to recover and, and heal and just really keep your expectations low. Um, with my third, I didn't tear. 
I had some interesting like skin splitting happen, kind of like an instant stretch mark almost with delivery. Mm. I did not want to ease him out. I wanted to shove him out of me. So So you did. (laughs) So I did. (laughs) And um, it was right up past my clitoris, which is also a little bit unusual. It's hilarious because I went in and saw my midwife pretty soon after. And I was like, something. And she like poked it. She's like, is this what hurts? And I was like, yeah. She's like, time. It's just going to take time. And I was so grateful. I used CBD oil. That was a game changer. It's such a fantastic topical. We don't always talk about using it topically, but it's a great anti-inflammatory. I feel like that helped promote healing. So find something that's going to help promote that healing for you and just take the time you need to heal. I think, yeah, patience is a really important one because, you know, I mean, my son's just coming up five months old. So I feel like I'm very much still in that immediate postpartum. Yes. I know that's not six weeks, but I mean, six weeks went by. No, I but five months is still very much postpartum. I feel very, I still feel very much postpartum. And yes. actually I saw a, I saw a quote, I think on Instagram that I quite liked. And for some, for a mum who's like breastfeeding, they've had all these examinations. They're working on doing their pelvic floor. They're trying to survive having a shower and eating some food every day Mm -hmm. and maybe taking five minutes to actually just connect with who they are. I saw a quote that said, I just feel really touched out. And I thought, actually, I can totally appreciate that. You know, Uh, I don't want anyone else touching me right now. Like I have got my baby who I love more than anything in the world feeding every two hours. And in between that, I'm like, you know, having to give myself constantly. And of course we sign up to that in motherhood, but it's really tough. And then for someone yep. else to like have some expectation of you, you're just like, well, hang on, <laughs> like, just leave me mm-hmm. alone for five minutes. And I think mm-hmm. having that again, that really honest conversation with your partner, you know, it's, it's not personal and it's not you, this is just me right yep. now. I need yep. you to run me a warm bath and not expect an intimate relationship right now. I just want a cuddle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want anything mm-hmm. penetrative. I don't want to have to give you, you any not even want to cuddle. Like when I'm touched out, which is such a real sensation, I'm like, I need everyone gone. And it's, it isn't anything personal. It's like, I've literally had skin on my skin mm-hmm. all day from mm-hmm. someone else. You know, you know. <laughs> I know. And I think it's okay to, to vocalize that and not feel, I mean, mum guilt is like our best friend, isn't it? It never leaves us. Ugh, but I think it's okay never. to be like, this is how I feel right now. And, and that's kind of normal. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, we just love to just tie up postpartum with the bow and be like, oh, six weeks. Okay, cool. We're all done. Or 12 <laughs> weeks. We're all done. No, I'm five years out. I still consider myself postpartum in some ways. I'm still recovering from having my kids. I still have not rebuilt. I have hyperemesis gravidarum while I'm pregnant, so I can't keep mm. food down. Those kids yanked every nutrient out of my body. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm still recovering. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think, I think you are forever postpartum, aren't you? you know, your body you're, has literally grown human life. You're never the same. You you're are never the same. And that's a, it's a good thing. It's not mm. a bad thing. Yeah, I think um, mind and body, right? Your mind's different. My mind is completely different now, my mum, than it was, you know, before 100%. I became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it will be, and these are good things. You know, I think sometimes when people hear this if, before they have kids, they get a little like, Ooh, and I'm like, oh no, no, I would never change it. I would never go back. I love how I've grown and progressed, but at the same time, I'm also dealing with no nutrients left in my bones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I still need to go. But it's a good job you managed to get that uh, supermarket shop in before you flew in to chat to me today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, a common question that I hear all the time, April, that I really want to put to you is, how will my vagina change after having a baby? I get this all the time. And it's something that I think women are really scared about. Will it be different? Will it ever go back to how it was before? Um, what's your take on that, on that question? 
Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I feel like we know that vaginas are like snowflakes, right? You've seen a lot of vaginas. I've seen I've a lot seen of vaginas. A few thousand. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're all exactly the same and completely different. Mm. And so the the fun things your kids are going to do to them on their way out are all completely different. (laughs) I love it. Like my skin splitting up past my clit. Like how often do you see that? I was like, how unique do you need to be, kid? Like, come on. (laughs) Like it's it's been tried and tested twice and then you throw that curveball at me. (laughs) And then you throw this out here. I've already thrown two kids come through here. Like, come on, you know? So it is, it's tricky. And like the amount of damage that's going to be done. We don't know what, what positions your baby in when they're coming out of you. Mm. It's just, it's tricky. And so what I will say is I, before having kids, I love to share this because it's an actual positive thing. And before having children, internal stimulation, like G spot, we call it G spot, but like that internal back, backside of the clitoris stimulation. I was only kind of into it. It wasn't as like good. I really wanted external after having children. I love internal stimulation. Mm -hmm. I feel like for some reason that's more accessible. It's more pleasurable. And so I feel like good things happened to my vagina. It's, it wasn't all bad things. And like, I've, I've been so lucky with very minimal damage with all my deliveries too. And I've healed very well from all those. So speaking personally, I I can vouch for like, it is possible to mostly have positive experiences or ones that you can at least heal from. I know plenty of other people where that's not the case, where they've had really very real damage. And I would say that there are resources available. There's pelvic floor physical therapy available to you. There's things like CBD oil to help with like that healing. We also love Arnica oil and a lot of these other things. They're going to promote healing, make it a little bit less difficult to heal. And I, I don't know. I just... I don't know if it has to be as big of a worry as we try to make it. Yeah, I agree. I think vaginas are quite forgiving, aren't they? They're, they're very forgiving. They are very this forgiving is what structures. We're, we're made for. Well, here's the other thing. We've all seen a penis um, coming out of a freezing cold lake, right? <laughs> yeah, go if on. It's even <laughs> out anymore from the freezing cold lake, right? <laughs> and then we've also seen a penis at its full glory, like fully erect, full blood flow. Yeah. Our vaginas are just as capable of that type of metamorphosis and stretch, mm-hmm. but we don't give them like we even are familiar with a, a, an organ that is like does this, and for some reason we don't believe that our vaginas are just as capable of doing that. Yeah, that's and I think that comes down to the psychology again, you know, because Probably. it's us believing in our bodies as women and trusting our bodies as yep. women. And the media has told us for years that we can't do that. And we're just starting yeah. to hopefully scratch the surface on unpicking um, some of what well, I think actually media has done damage to women in, in that way. And that's why birth is now such a fearful thing for so many women. Yep. Um, and yep. I think that comes into it, doesn't it? It's that innate trust in your body. It is. It's trusting your body. It's trusting your ability to heal. It's also making the right decisions about your providers and it's having conversations with them around like, you know, one thing for me when I was interviewing uh, doctors in my first pregnancy is episiotomy was still very routine when I had my daughter here. Mm. 
And so when I talked to people, I said, how often do you do episiotomies? And the doctor I hired was like, my goal with a delivery is for the person to walk away with the very least amount of damage. He's like, that's, he's like, I know it's supposed to be healthy mom and baby. And obviously like it is, he's like, but like, it's almost a game for me to make sure everyone walks away with zero damage or very little, like minimal. And I was like, Mm -hmm. sold. He's like, I don't do episiotomies unless someone's dying essentially, which is exactly the only time they should be. Someone should be in distress about it. Right. So anyway, I just was so grateful for that. And having worked in childbirth as long as I have, like, of course there's reasons to cut. It, it does exist, but they are so few and far between. It should never be routine. And that is a conversation you should be having with your doctor when you're pregnant. So Definitely. because we, we, we want to minimize what we have to heal from so that we do have a healthy functioning vagina after. Definitely. And, you know, as a midwife, I have done quite a few episiotomies when there is a rationale for them when there's a rationale for them they are incredible because they might facilitate a vaginal birth they might reduce a more significant tear but they exactly should not be routine that is I mean I know certainly when I was born if it was if it was your I wasn't my mum's firstborn but for my brother it was well it's your first baby so you have an episiotomy that was just yeah we just have to slice you wide open and just right down into the muscle and then that's the difference too if you've been pushing on that for a while you know it's a paper thin cut Mm. If they haven't, it's like down into the muscle and it's real damage. And so have this discussion with your doctor. Let's minimize the amount of damage being done or your midwife. And hopefully if you hire someone good, they're only doing those procedures if you really truly need them, not because they have a golf game to get to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, really important. Really, really important. And I think the the more we the more we can talk about birth the more women can be educated about what happens mm-hmm. and the easier these conversations are to open up the more women actually understand what an episiotomy is ahead of time because if the first yes. time you hear it is as you're trying to push your baby out it's not all that helpful informed consent is a tricky one at that point consent oh and that's the other thing and this is a, once again like if you have a doctor who's like i don't have time to get consent that probably maybe isn't your doctor. I've never been in a scenario where there wasn't time to get consent. Yeah, you should be talking about these things. And like, you're a good midwife. Or wouldn't you be so thrilled to have this conversation with someone who's pregnant and ease their concerns? Absolutely. And I think, I think that's where preparing an education in pregnancy is just hugely important. You should never hear something for the first time at the point of labor and birth. You know, these things should have been discussed. You should understand, you know, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. So that at the time of labor and birth, it's not sort of a massive discussion into what an episiotomy is or what a cesarean birth is. You know what they are. It's just like, this is why we're recommending it. How does this feel? And you can make a really informed choice actually pretty quickly if you've already got the information. Yeah. And you're hiring a practice of doctors or midwives or a midwife individually that you've now built a relationship with trust with that, you know, if they're saying, Hey, we need to do a C-section, you can trust that like they're making best decisions for you at this point. You know, that's yeah. the difference. Oh, absolutely. I could just keep talking to you all day. April. I know. It's so important. <laughs> I, I feel like we're stuff. just, we're so, I feel like we're both, our passion for this is really, really well aligned, yeah. which I absolutely yeah. love. Um, so you're going to have to come back on, but I can't take up all of your your day. Um, but I'd like to round everything off with three top tips. So I wonder if you could give us three top tips to enjoying sex, either in pregnancy or the postpartum. Um, my first tip would be, don't be afraid of breastfeeding boobs. Mm. Um, when it comes to to sex, they're super fun. Breast milk is not gross. It's super fun. Have fun (laughs) with it. 
you know, <laughs> if, if nipple play and all of that is something that you're into before having kids, um, incorporate it afterwards. Like, I can't tell you how many men have come to me and been like, I did not know that breast milk would be so arousing and fun to play with. I really thought that this was going to be like some gross thing that was like off limits and not a thing. And he's like, and if nothing else, I'm going to miss this season in our sex life because it's been like such a fun thing to kind of play with, you know? So don't be afraid to get into some of that stuff. I think we've made that very taboo. Yeah. But that's why, that's why I'm talking to you today. So we can unpick some of this. (laughs) Boobs are still fun. So if you think boobs are fun before you have kids, boobs can still be fun postpartum, even if you're breastfeeding. Don't be afraid of it. It's a great time. Um, sex and pregnancy, everything I, I already said too, if whatever you feel up to is what's normal for you and that's what you should participate in, if intercourse doesn't feel the best, don't feel any pressure to do that. Find other ways to connect. And I would say too, it's worth your time and energy to find ways to continue to connect intimately with your partner as you go through the the whole experience of having a baby and shifting so much around in your life, sex is a great home to come home to. And intimacy is a good home to come home to. So much will be changing so quickly about your body, um, maybe even about your situation, about work, about all of it. It all changes. And so anything you can ground into and and feel at home in um, is a good thing. So keep a healthy, happy sex life by talking about it, by adjusting as needed, by supporting your own body, by encouraging your partner to support you in this as well. Um, and let it, let it grow your relationship instead of be a hard thing. Oh, that is an amazing way to finish. I love that. Let it, let it, let it help you bond, let it help strengthen that relationship rather than being something that's a, something that you can't communicate about or becomes a barrier. I love that. Rachel, um, April, thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, and chatting about all of that, I know it'll be a massive support to so many women. And I feel like you've given everybody lots of homework to do as well, which is probably the most important yes. homework they've ever been given. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Go to lunch. Have fun. Talk about it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to chat to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I just really appreciate it. And that's it for another episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. Remember, you can use your exclusive discount code PODCAST15 on all my online courses. And why not check out my free mini course while you're there too. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, remember to hit subscribe so you're the first to hear about all the upcoming chats too. And I'd be immensely grateful if you could take a couple of minutes to leave me a quick podcast review too. I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.